Welcome to 120 Outdoors, where we talk about how to enjoy the outdoor opportunities we all have close to home. If you love all things outdoors, this podcast is for you to get out and get more out of it. Hi, and welcome to 120 Outdoors. My name is Chris DePaula. And I'm Don Klaus. Yeah, and today, folks, we're going to talk about a couple different subjects here, uh, but we want to talk a little bit, clarify ourselves a little bit here first. You know, one of the things we pride ourselves here on this podcast is we talk about all the, the great hunting and fishing opportunities we have within our 120. And we also talk about we're conservationists, Don and I, and many of our listeners are too. And we want to talk about the issues that are affecting us, um, both our hunting and fishing waters. And, and we've had a couple big things come up recently on evasive species. Um, I know, Don, you have a lot uh, to add to this. Um, and we're not going to make this a this isn't going to be every podcast from this point on, but we think it's important to touch base on some of the issues we're, we're dealing with right now. Um, there'll be a, a few different podcasts here talking about various um, evasive species, and we're going to start with aquatics, correct, Don? We are, yep. Okay. Yep. Uh, as Chris mentioned, you know, uh, they're upon us. It's it's just about impossible to live in these times and, and not hear of the impacts of, of invasive organisms of all types. Uh, it's especially true if you're in tune with the natural world and the outdoors. We hear about all manner of these invaders around the whole country. There are pythons in the Everglades, bark beetles in the western states, Asian carp in the Midwest. Closer to us, we've got zebra mussels, round gobies, and sea lamprey in the Great Lakes. Around us, we have dead ash trees all over the place, thanks to the emerald ash borer that has uh, visited us. Uh, we also have the spotted lanternfly heading our way from the eastern United States. Well, and that changed today, Don. Just uh, today, they announced that Mercer County, which is our neighboring county, has spotted lanternfly now. So it's it's definitely within our 120. Heck, it's in my backyard here. You yeah, know. I visit Mercer County yeah. every week. Yeah. Didn't mean to interrupt you there. Go ahead. No, uh, no, the, we need to hear the bad news. Yeah, too. yeah. Yep. Anyway, point is, we're being assaulted and challenged by these invaders in most of our lands and waters. New ones come up today. Yeah, today, yeah. So, naturally, the local waters near and dear to us for the fishing and hunting we enjoy here uh, are a big deal to us. But, uh, they have not escaped these impacts, as we will discuss. So true to form, as Chris mentioned, we're going to investigate these things and that are messing with our waters. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's hit home here. Um, you know, we're going to go into the first podcast. We're going to talk a little bit about, uh, we're going to talk to Brian Polarczyk from the, uh, he's a wetland specialist with the Crawford County Conservation District. Watershed specialist. Watershed specialist. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry about that, Brian. But anyway, um, he's going to be our first guest on on uh, invasive species, aquatic invasive species. And he's going to talk to us a little bit, give us an overview of some of the issues we have locally here. And I know some of you are probably thinking, well, wait a minute, we don't have these issues here. Um, if you don't have them yet, I hate to tell you this, you're going to have them soon. Um, because this, the one particular issue we have is with hydrilla and we are now on the Northern border of hydrilla in the United States, uh, where we, we currently live here in Northeast Ohio in Northwestern Pennsylvania. 
So if you don't have it now, I hope you don't get it, but uh, it looks like it's on the doorstep of all of us right now. So it's, it's definitely something um, that we need to be educated on for sure. Yeah, the thing with these things, uh, users of the waterways move around, and uh, that has a, a way of moving invasive species around. So it's something to be mindful of and something Brian's going to enlighten us on. Yep, very good. Do you just want to jump right to the interview, Don? Yeah, I think we can get the Brian. Okay, folks, hang on. Here we go. This is Brian Polarczyk. Okay, welcome to 120 Outdoors, Brian. It's good to be here. Thank you for uh, for having me. Well, uh, you know this has been a topic on our mind for a long time, so um, we we came to the right place on it. So, So let's get to it. First of all, what do we need to know? about aquatic invasive plants? Well, I guess the, the first thing uh, I can say is just to, to kind of describe what, what an invasive uh, plant is or what an invasive species is. Uh, an invasive uh, plant or an animal or uh, virus or anything, anything like that is, um, is uh, say, a plant that comes from an area outside of your area uh, and then becomes... Uh, becomes a problem. So uh, a lot of times they come from another country. Sometimes they come from different regions within within the United States. There are certain southern species that have been transplanted into uh, the northern United States that have become invasive uh, plants. Now, the reason that they're invasive is that you're removing a, a plant or an animal from an area where it has natural checks and balances. So it has uh, natural uh, diseases that can keep it in check. It has natural uh, predators or herbivores that can keep it in check. You're moving that species into an area where it no longer has those natural checks and balances. Without them, the species has an unfair advantage over the native species or the species that originated in, in that uh, specific area. So without those checks and balances, that unfair advantage allows that plant to dominate uh, it, its its surroundings, so it's not necessarily that uh, an invasive species is some sort of, of horrible plant that is is bent on destruction. It's just that you've taken something out of its natural environment, you put it in in an area that doesn't have any checks and balances, and it's able to outcompete everything else. When it becomes a problem, uh, is is when when it outcompetes other other plants, uh, that that process allows it to uh, completely take over an ecosystem. And there are other uh, you know other things within you know within an ecosystem that depend on the native plants. So a lot of uh, a lot of our animals, our fish, our amphibians, our plants, uh, they're all interconnected uh, within food chains. Those food chains that we learn when we're in in uh, elementary school. Uh, those chains are important. When you bring in a, an invasive species and it displaces those other plants and animals that were in the area, for one thing, it, it removes the habitat that those plants and animals depend on. Uh, you know, you no longer have that same um, vegetative structure uh, to be able to allow those species to thrive. And then also you tend to remove the, the food sources and you disrupt that food chain so you can have a whole ecosystem collapse by adding an invasive species into a, into a new environment. So that's, that's the concern that we have with invasive uh, plants and animals 
in a new area. Now, along with that, uh, I mentioned native species or species that are, uh, they're the, the ones that originate in an area and form that, that relationship. Invasive plants and animals are ones that come into that area and, and cause economic or environmental harm. Uh, there are also non-native species that tend to be benign. Um, you know, so there, there are non-native species that we don't consider invasive. Uh, say corn, for example, it's an agricultural crop. Uh, we don't worry about corn getting loose from cornfields and dominating other, other ecosystems. So, you know, even though it's not a native species, uh, it's, it's not one that, that, that we worry about being invasive. So that's, that's kind of the reason that, that we are concerned when something, something new shows up. It's unpredictable what it will do within a, you know, within a new area. Hmm. Well, okay, that, that's, a, that's a good intro to, to what we're dealing with. In your area of, uh, of watershed management, um, do you have some that are a problem for you? Oh, we've got we've got quite a few. <laughs> there's a, there's a real list of uh, of uh, plants and animals that uh, that we deal with in Northwest Pennsylvania. Um, you know, some of the I guess the laundry list that I can I can rattle off uh, are things like uh, Eurasian water milfoil. Eurasian water milfoil is a, a submerged aquatic plant. It's been around for a long 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 time in the area. It tends to dominate our uh, disturbed lakes and reservoirs and ponds in the area. So uh, areas where it has been um, established, it, it really is one of our dominant, dominant species that we, that we deal with. Uh, so there, um, there are uh, lakes in northwest Pennsylvania that have uh, Carolina fanwort. I mentioned earlier that uh, there are species from the United States that are considered invasive in, the, in other parts of the United States. Carolina fanwort is one of those, those species. Uh, it's also referred to as kabamba. In northwest Pennsylvania, we have it in, in uh, Conneaut Lake uh, and also um, Crystal and Mud Lakes within the uh, Hartstown Marsh. And it tends to, to, to dominate, outcompete other native aquatic plants. Uh, both of those species, Eurasian water milfoil and Carolina fanwort, will displace other, um, you know, other aquatic uh, plants. Um, we have a new species that showed up in the area here within the past past several years uh, called Yar- European frogbit. European frogbit is a, a they're, they're tiny little heart-shaped lily pad looking looking plants. Uh, they actually grow uh, in in small they call them rosettes. So the they're uh, I guess small circular um, you know circular structures of the of the plants. So. European frogbit is a, a new one that, that, that we have in the area. Uh, European frogbit is a, a species that it's, uh, they're small heart-shaped uh, lily pad looking structures that actually grow in, in, uh, in small clumps called, called rosettes. Those clumps are actually attached together by uh, root systems and the whole structure is, is free floating. I always refer to them as uh, as sort of Christmas light in structure. Uh, those, those Christmas light structures, um, those rosettes of plants are strung together in these long strings of fibrous roots. And, uh, and when European frogbait comes into an area, uh, it tends to almost put a lid on top of the, on top of the waterway. It's, it's very quick growing. Um, it's, it's very 
easy to get get established. And when those small little heart shaped uh, heart shaped leaves uh, cover the entire water surface, one problem with European frogbit is that it can actually uh, inhibit the exchange of oxygen uh, from the surface uh, of the of the water. So you can actually sort of put a lid on top of uh, on top of your lake or your small pond, especially if it's a shallow shallow pond, uh, and cause oxygen depletion underneath. Uh, and cause fish kills. So um, those plants can dominate dominate in those areas. Uh, another species that we have in Pimentini Reservoir um, has a, a, a fair fair amount of this is uh, American lotus. Again, it's another species that's native to the southern United States. Uh, it's very showy. It's a beautiful yellow lotus flower, um, and the the leaves are are they're they're enormous. There's uh, a couple feet across. Um, but American lotus, once it gets established, uh, again, can form dense beds. Uh, it can actually uh, cause oxygen depletion in areas. Uh, the, the trade-off with some of these uh, invasive species is that for portions of the year, they can be really damaging. For other portions of the year, they can actually be a, a bit of a, um, you know, habitat, provide some habitat structure. American lotus is one of those species. So in the springtime, uh, it does tend to be a, a good area for um, panfish fishing until the plants get established. Once they get established, uh, they actually create a, an oxygen-depleted dead zone within shallow portions of the lake. And uh, a Pimentini Reservoir, the, the upper section of the lake, uh, there, are, there are hundreds upon hundreds of acres of American lotus-dominated shallows that, that are devoid of fish yep. during a significant portion of the year. So you get that little bit of boost of habitat in the spring, and then afterwards, you you end up with, uh, you know, with really a damaging, um, damaging condition to the, uh, you know, to the, uh, uh, to the reservoir. Uh, probably our worst, or definitely our worst aquatic invasive, is uh, is hydrilla. Hydrilla is uh, again a, a submerged aquatic plant. Uh, it's considered or, or referred to by plant managers as the almost perfect weed. Uh, it has has a lot of mechanisms uh, to be able to uh, outcompete and quickly outgrow other aquatic species, uh, displacing them. Um, it grows in such dense mats. I, I always refer to it as shag carpet. From the from the bottom to the surface, uh, will be completely one solid mat of of hydrilla. Uh, one thing that that we are seeing is that a lot of these invasive species tend to play play well together. Uh, so when I refer to hydrilla at tuning, uh, hydrilla grows very well underneath American lotus. So you could potentially have hydrilla filling up the water column, American lotus, uh, the lily pads shading out and sort of capping off um, uh, on these standing stalks, uh, a canopy of uh, American lotus um, pads. And then the European frog bit, one concern that we have is that that is the final piece of the puzzle where European frog bit could actually fill in that last surface layer. Uh, and you could have a, um, an invasive species sandwich that is virtually unfishable. Uh, there's no way to, uh, to get a boat through an area like that. Um, so as far as recreation, recreational boating, um, you can't get kayaks, you can't get... Uh, 
motorboats through through areas like that, it really could be a disaster it in shallow like lakes and reservoirs. Yeah, for sure. Hey, hey Brian, now I'm going to um, get a better understanding of this American Lotus because when mm-hmm. I was at Pima Tuning last summer, um, and I think I know the areas you're talking about. You're talking uh, north of Clark's Island, right? That's where this American yep. Lotus is. Okay. And I also yeah. saw quite a bit of it in, in Linesville. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And then I also saw, I saw some of this, I, I'm thinking this is what this is, um, off of Tuttle's Point, uh, right? Yes. Or the old campground. Okay. That's what that is. So there, there's almost a, a, a solid ring um, from about Payton Aram launch yep. uh, in Ohio, yep. all the way around, um, you know, through Bennett uh, Bay, nearly through, through the Linesville. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> through Bennett Bay, through uh, Stewart, Red Cross Camp, through all through that yep. whole area. Oh, man. That's what that Stewart is. Bay. Yes. Yes. And, and actually, um, most of the American Lotus is limited to the causeway north. There's a, there's a couple small patches that have extended south, but um, there's, there's efforts to try to manage those, uh, you know, those areas. There's an interesting side note about um, American Lotus, and this is, uh, this is one of those regulatory quirks. Uh, when I first started, I've been, I've been at the Conservation District for 22 years now, and when I first started the district, American lotus was actually listed as a Pennsylvania endangered species. So somewhere uh, (laughs) along the line, (laughs) it had it had it had somehow fallen into um, somebody. Somebody felt that it was a native species and that it that it was rare in Pennsylvania. Uh, I noticed this trend with other states in the in the Northeast that some states would consider it an invasive. Some states had no um, designation on it. Uh, some states were, and it was very rare that, that one of the states would consider it an, an, a native species or an endangered species, but it was, it was broadly miscategorized. Uh, so Pennsylvania went through a process where they, they went through, uh, there were very established botanical records, especially for a place like Pimatuning Reservoir. Uh, a lot of folks spent a lot of time in the, in the Pimatuning Swamp that was here before Pimatuning Reservoir uh, documenting plant species within it, because there were a lot of rare and endangered plant species within, within Pima Tuning Swamp, there are no records of American lotus in the botanical records. Now, a, a lily pad that is three feet across with an enormous yellow flower, there's no chance that it would have been missed in the botanical records. And in right. fact, in Pennsylvania, right. there were no botanical records at all pre-colonization of American lotus. So, Eventually, uh, Pennsylvania was able to remove it from the endangered species list and consider it a non-native invasive. So, again, it's one of those quirks of history. When I first started the district, American lotus uh, was considered a protected species. Most folks that were dealing with it realized that this this is not a plant that's supposed to be in this area. Um, and it, it's luckily we were able to to finally go through those records, find out that, that it was, and uh, Department of Agriculture and, and uh, Department of Conservation Natural Resources were able to work together to delist that species as an endangered species, and now it is permitted to be to, to be managed. So Pima Tuning, north of the causeway, there are extensive lotus patches. Tuttle Island is another area uh, around Bridge mm-hmm. 21 Bay. Yep. Uh, all, yep. all those areas are very dense with it. The other lake in northwest Pennsylvania that has it is Lake Wilhelm. There are a couple of small yep. patches, yep. and uh, there are you know efforts to try to contain that. But um, you mentioned Red Cross Bay earlier. 
Mm-hmm. Red Cross Bay was where uh, European frog bit showed up this past year. I did so that, read that. Yeah, I did read that. Yeah. Yep. So that, that's been a concern. Hey, Brian, on, on Pima tuning, um, one mm-hmm. of my general questions. Okay, so, I mean, you, I could tell you this job you have is extremely complicated. So you have hydrilla in Pima tuning. You've got this lotus. You've got frog bit. We've got a little bit of everything. How do you set the mm-hmm. priorities at, at, okay, here's what we need to do first. What plant are we going to try and control and or maintain first? Is there... Um, do you know what I'm saying? Is there like a yeah. checklist? You uh, like a hierarchy? Yeah, yeah. 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 So, so Pimentoning Reservoir is managed by uh, both Department of Conservation and Natural Resources in Pennsylvania and then uh, by Ohio State Parks in Ohio. So there's joint management on, on Pimentoning. Uh, so as essentially those are the landowners for, for Pimentoning Reservoir. And if, and if an invasive species was going to show up anywhere uh, that it was going to get probably um, uh, dealt with the quickest it's on a on a state-run reservoir that that has uh, you know an, an established um, management program uh, state parks in Pennsylvania was able to to get on some of these species as, as early as, as possible and try to develop a management plan so at, at Pyman tuning state park um, you know that management goes through their resource resource management and those this hierarchy of species uh, we, that that you, you kind of mentioned, as we go through an invasive species, there is a certain amount of, I guess, invasiveness to to these species. Hydrilla is one that that checks that red box quickly. Um, you know, something like Carolina fanwort would be another one. European frogbit that is a, a new to the area invader and has potential. Um, you know, those are the ones that. Uh, when they show up, it's called early detection rapid response. So in Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania has uh, an aquatic invasive species early detection rapid response plan. Uh, that rapid response plan uh, was was approved by the Pennsylvania Invasive Species Council. And within that plan, uh, you know, you look at, um, okay, we have a new species that showed up. Uh, how invasive is that species? Uh, how new to the area is that species? Has it been here for a hundred years and it's very well established, or is it something that just showed up this past year? Uh, and then you take those, you know, those types of um, metrics, and that's how you make your decisions on what you know what you address first, uh, how much effort you put into those areas. Something like Eurasian water milfoil is a is an incredibly um, it's a difficult, difficult to control aquatic plant. It's very widespread in Pennsylvania because it, it has been here for a long time. Uh, Eurasian water milfoil has been here for, you know, for over over 50 years, and it has got a very strong foothold in northwest Pennsylvania. Uh, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't uh, try to manage it, but it, when you get something that's very established, say in Pima Tuning Reservoir, Eurasian water milfoil is very established, about the only thing that, that you can do at this point is try to uh, manage for resource, uh, you know, resource protection. So if there are sensitive areas you're managing, uh, if, there are, if there's infrastructure like marinas, docks, uh, mooring areas, um, you're trying to manage around those, those areas. Hydrilla, when it showed up, you know, it only showed up about 12 years ago, uh, that was a new invader. It was a high-priority new invader both Pima Tuning and Ohio governments were able to get together and work out a plan to try to suppress it. 
And for the past, you know, for the past 10 years or so, that's what we've been doing is trying to suppress hydrilla to the point that people don't notice it. So it, it really got, it started to get a foothold here, uh, uh, um, probably six or seven years ago. Uh, we were able to have an aggressive management program. And at this point, it's still present in the lake. It still, uh, can be cause use impairments where it, you know, where, um, uh, where management hasn't been as, as, as strong as it needs to be. But what we do now is we have a, a, a meeting every year, and it's guided by uh, a DCNR, um, Pennsylvania State Parks, to prioritize management areas so that we can suppress hydrilla to the point that it's not a resource concern. Uh, it's, it's there in Pima Tuning. It's, it's probably not coming back out. That's, um, we're beyond the point of eradication, but... Um, you know, but we're at that point now that we can we can try to suppress it to where it's not a management issue. Where Eurasian water milfoil cats out of the bag, it's it's trying to manage it to a point where um, it's just not just not causing problems in the areas where it really could cause problems. Does that that yeah. kind of answer your question? Yeah, yeah, that that's good because I often wondered. I mean, I, I wouldn't even know where to start. You know, it, it, it's, it's <laughs> it, it, there's so where, where are you going? But I, I get what you guys are saying. There's a there's a hierarchy that you follow and i'm glad you guys are doing that yeah um, that that's so uh, something i can add to that as well is that uh in that early detection rapid response plan um you know there are levels of protection before something even shows up that um you know we know scientifically that if these things happen uh you're you're in different stages of an invasion so the most cost-effective way to deal with invasive species is not to allow them to come in in the first place. So prevention is the, the cheapest, it's the easiest, it's the most effective management method for invasive species. Once you do have an introduction of an invasive species, say it's zebra mussels or it's, it's one of these other aquatic plants that I've, that I've mentioned, once you have an introduction, that early detection rapid response plan is really designed to, to come in if this is just in one patch, in one bay, uh, is there a chance to eradicate it? So eradication is, is on the table early on. Uh, if you can get on something very quick, uh, you, you manage it effectively, you could eradicate it from a water body, yeah. which is, is a primary goal when an invasion starts. Once that invasive species gets a foothold and the species level gets to a threshold that you can't eradications off the table, then, then you start going into these management scenarios of how do we keep it, keep it managed, and then there are mm-hmm. thresholds of management. So there really is a hierarchy there of what, what you can and can't do. Uh, it's, it's really imperative that you get on these things early. Try to prevent them. If they do end up, uh, end up happening, you try to eradicate. If you can't eradicate, you go into management. So when, when you go to Pymatuning Reservoir and you, you encounter the launch steward program. So these are, these are folks that are stationed at the launches and they sort of rotate around the launches at Pima Tuning. Mm-hmm. These folks will approach you as you're about to uh, launch your boat. They're, they're not enforcement folks. They're there to, to, to talk to you a little bit about invasive species, to check your boat and your trailer, your motor, make sure that there's nothing hanging off it so that we're not adding something to Pima Tuning. And then when you pull your boat out, uh, you're also supposed to go through and make sure there's nothing hanging on your trailer or on your boat so that you don't end up taking it to another right. another water body afterwards. So there, those prevention measures are still in place, even though we, where, climate tuning is infested with 
a number of invasive species, yeah. there's still an effort to prevent others from coming in. Oh, and they practice. have had some yeah. some real notable saves, they they call them. Um, there were a couple of boats that came through their launch stewards that had zebra mussels attached, and oh. the launch stewards were able to... Are you to, kidding they, me? Seriously? No. <laughs> um, so, Kabamba is another species. They were able to, to encounter those boats before they launched and say, hey, you really need, you need to get that cleaned off before you put it in the pima tuning, or you're you're bringing that to this lake. It's, it's not here yet. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, on the other end of it, we don't want hydrilla spreading from, from Pima tuning reservoir to say Conneaut Lake or to, you know, to Wilhelm or, or another one of the local yeah. reservoirs. Sure, sure. And we know that there's a lot of cross traffic with, with, you know, with fishermen and with boaters, uh, might fish Pima tuning today and, and Wilhelm tomorrow or run up to Lake Erie. We really don't want them carrying that stuff somewhere else. Hey, hey, Brian, a, a general question. You, first of all, those I, um, Don and I have run into those stewards, you know, the, the folks at the boat ramps. They do a great job. And, mm-hmm. and you kind of mentioned um, in, your dis- in your discussion there about uh, finding the evasive species early and eradicating, having a very aggressive approach and eradicating. I get that. Who, my concern or question is, who, who's monitoring this? Like, I know you guys found that um, chestnut... Um, the evasive species, the water chestnut, last year mm-hmm. in, in Bennett Bay and in, in Red Cross Camp. Who who would discover this? I mean, is, are you relying on anglers and hunters, or is there someone, volunteers, or is it you, probably you, or someone on your staff? <laughs> um, you know, who's monitoring all this? Because that's a full-time job in itself right there. Yes. Jeez, oh, man. It is. And uh, it, that's a really good question. Uh, so, and it's all of the above. Um, okay. So uh, at Pima Tuning Reservoir, when, when hydrilla was uh, first detected, uh, one of the first things that we did was we, we started a, a lake-wide aquatic plant survey. And that first survey was incredibly atten- uh, intensive. There were actually uh, over 1,900 sample points that, that we took and, uh, over the entire reservoir, both the, the north and south end as well as Sanctuary Lake. Uh, it was an intensive project that um, they were, uh, the, my, the, my district, uh, the, um, Department of Conservation, Natural Resources, Ohio DNR, uh, U S army Corps of engineers. Wow. Um, you know, there were, there were, um, six boats that were running. I think we were out there for four days straight. Uh, and what we did was we actually have a, a basically it's a, um, a garden rake on a rope that every one of those sample points that you would come to and they were GPS on a grid pattern, you would throw the rake in, pull it out, identify the aquatic plants that were on it, document those. Uh, so we actually mapped the lake wow. with those, you know, with those rakes. While we were doing that, we also did a, a it's called a hydroacoustic survey. So basically uh, an off-the-shelf Lowrance, um fish finder unit that has the capability of recording sonar logs. Mm-hmm. Um, we were able to take that uh, those Lawrence units on each one of the boats, and while we were out there sampling, they were recording sonar logs. There is a there's a there's a um, uh, a service called BioBase that you can send your your sonar logs to. They'll um, they'll process those logs, and what we get back is we we got both a, a bathymetric survey of the the bottom uh, bottom hardness, and then also vegetation density so that we could go back and look at what were the real dense areas of aquatic vegetation. Uh, our sample points told us what species were at each one of those, those sample points. And everywhere that we had a hydrilla um, detection, then we would, that's where we would prioritize management. Um, 
you know, based on the resources that we had available. So we still do that survey. Uh, actually, we've been doing it twice a year. We've been doing it in June and then again in uh, August or September. And it's not as intensive. We're, we're not doing uh, 1,900 sample points anymore. I was just going to um, ask. But, <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> but we are doing, um, you know, a, a smaller version of that gridded survey over the entire entire area. Um, there's still, I can't remember what the, what the survey's down to now, but it's still a very significant net. And then to fill in the blanks in those nets, uh, resource management at Pima Tuning, uh, so that, you know, the folks that, at Pima Tuning State Park are still out there on a daily basis. And whenever they encounter one of these invasive species, they're documenting it and adding it to the survey. So, it's funny because even, um, you know, you're out there with your family and you're, and you're recreating, fishing, or, or kayaking. You notice hydrilla, um, document where it's at, and you take that back, and, and we, we enter that, that data as anecdotal um, data points that we can add to our survey. Uh, the other thing is we get reports from the public. So the public can call. In, in Pima Tuning Reservoir's case, you can call the park office and report suspected fines. Um, in Pennsylvania, uh, in, they're still trying to get, get their feet under them at this point, but there are methods for reporting aquatic invasive species. Uh, two of them that you can use, one is to go to the Pennsylvania Fish and Boat Commission website, and there is an aquatic invasive species reporting uh, feature on the Pennsylvania Fish and Boat Commission website, and that report will go to the um, Pennsylvania Fish and Boat Commission's aquatic invasive species um, uh, person that, that they, that they have, uh, Pennsylvania department of agriculture, uh, also has a reporting method that you can go to their, their website and then report aquatic invasive species. They're looking at doing a hotline, uh, and actually having a phone number to be able to report those, those invasive species. Uh, so you mentioned uh, me being out there. So it's the same thing. I'm looking as I'm, I'm doing my normal duties. Uh, other things like, um, uh, citizen science monitoring, um, you know, monitoring programs. There's a there's a program called iNaturalist that a lot of folks use. It's uh, it's an application for your phone. Uh, you download iNaturalist. Uh, if you see something in nature, whether it's a plant or an animal or an insect, you take a picture of it, and it'll give you um, potential identifications for it. And then you can you can upload that. Um, so we we can actually. Uh, we can actually put together forums to allow people to report those aquatic invasive species through those. So we, we actually get those reports as they come in and priority species like hydrilla or uh, European frog bit or, or uh, European water chestnut will show up. And sometimes we find these things that way. Somebody was out in a kayak, they identified um, European frog bit, and there it was. So, so I will give you the example of European frog bit that's the, that's the one that we just found up in Red Cross Bay. Uh, it's been found in Hartstown Marsh as well as Conant Marsh. And it was found almost simultaneously in all three of those, those areas. The first finding was actually in, um, in Hartstown, the upper end of Hartstown Marsh, the, uh, the Sanctuary Lake area in Pima Tuning, um, by our survey crew for the hydrilla survey, our annual hydrilla survey. So it showed up at that point. That led me to looking at uh, iNaturalist, and a point turned up in 
marsh or Geneva Marsh, which is a large wetland system yep. uh, just outside of the Pima Tuning area. Yep. I uh, went and investigated that, and yes, it was. It was there. Wow. Uh, one of the park staff hunts in that uh, marsh, and he looked, and he started finding it as he was duck hunting and started to report it. Jeez. So you, you start building the picture that way. Yeah. And then there are, there are groups like Western Pennsylvania Conservancy that have botanists that are, that are out, and they're doing surveys constantly in, you know, in the area, and they're adding those things to... Uh, so I mentioned iNaturalist, sort of the, the public... Um, the, the layman's uh, version of reporting. There's also a, um, a, a little more sophisticated, a lot more sophisticated um, reporting option called I, IMAP Invasives. And it's, um, so IMAP Invasives, you can actually enroll in IMAP Invasives and, and, uh, and be able to document species. The, the thing with IMAP is that they, they have botanists that actually will confirm for sure that that's what that species is and it's, it becomes officially documented um, iNaturalist is more of a recreational. There are there are confirmations on it, but um, it's sort of a citizen science uh, method for for confirming, you know, confirming species. So, so yeah, as far as um, finding out about these, um, the the educational and outreach programs that that we have locally. So the launch steward programs, uh, you know, there there are a number of environmental education programs that the conservation districts or the state parks do on aquatic invasive species. Um, you know, the outreach handouts and materials that Pennsylvania Sea Grant puts out, we try to get them out in places that, that people would notice them, um, bait shops and, and uh, uh, out to, you know, the lines of fish hatchery and, and the places where people are going to go and notice them so that you recognize these species when you see them. And then reporting them to the, the resource manager that's appropriate. Uh, you know, so if it's at a state park, it's going to go to the park office. If it's in, you know, in a, in a game lands, it's going to go to, uh, you know, the, um, the regional office for Pennsylvania game commission. Uh, you know, if it's a fish and boat commission launch, you can report that to the fish and boat commission. So there are, there are mechanisms for reporting and we rely on them all. Well, it sounds like, uh, Sounds like you have a lot of mechanisms to, to figure out where the stuff's going and let people know what they are. Uh, I think that's probably uh, probably really good business because uh, uh, there's some of them I wouldn't I wouldn't know what. I they honestly were. didn't have any idea how involved it was, Brian. Uh, I, I'm thrilled you guys are doing that seriously. And Don, you and I got to brush up on identifying these plants because we're always in the water too, fooling around, fishing or hunting or whatever. I think uh, I got to do my uh, due diligence here and educate myself a little bit on them yeah and as, you, as you've and illustrated they can really wreck the waterway yeah. for, for everybody yeah. yeah and i um that's one of the reasons i really appreciate that you guys have uh have reached out to us and are asking these questions because the, the more we can get it out out to the to the angler that's out there or to the you know to the boater or the kayaker um those are a lot more eyes than we have and uh, you know i described a lot of ways that we get reports but there's a lot of holes in that net uh, there's a lot of things that can slip through the cracks that um, that we don't notice because we can't be everywhere at once. And uh, so, yeah, we, we really have an uphill battle on on getting this information out and uh, and being able to get more and more eyes on the on the problem. Well, we're gonna we're gonna do what we can. Uh, we're just getting warmed up on invasives. Uh, we're doing aquatic plants uh, right now, but uh we've had uh hands on a number of these and and they all irritate us with the the problems they cause yeah for sure i 
I don't know. Uh, any any final thoughts, Brian? Any anything you would like to add? Oh, you have us good and scared now, Brian. Uh, we <laughs> seriously. We, we we know that these water resources are shared by many, and um, a lot of opportunities for things to go haywire. We also know that there's not an infinite supply of money. Uh, hopefully, this serves as a cautionary tale to to those who don't have these problems yet. So, hey, we. Yeah. Uh, we certainly appreciate all your insights, and uh, we're we're absolutely going to share that, and hopefully uh, save some other bodies of water for the, the grief <laughs> from the grief that you have to deal with. Yeah. So. Well, we certainly certainly appreciate your efforts, and uh, you know, if anybody has questions on aquatic invasive species, uh, it's best to reach out to your your natural resources. Um, you know, whether it's uh, your Department of Natural Resources, whether it's in Pennsylvania. Department of Conservation, Natural Resources, State Parks. Uh, there's all all of our agencies, the Soil and Water Conservation Districts in Ohio, Conservation Districts in Pennsylvania. Reach out to us and ask questions. Uh, you know, we're we're more than willing to provide that information. And uh, you know, we shouldn't shouldn't be scared out there that uh, that all these things are out there. We should be aware that they are, and then know you know know who to talk to if you do notice something. So you know, there's uh, with with emergency management, there's the "if you see something, say something" uh, tagline that's out there. Mm-hmm. It, it goes just—it's uh, just as important in the natural resources realm. If you see something that that wasn't there last year and it, it's acting uh, acting strange, um, a plant that all of a sudden showed up in your favorite fishing hole that that is different and seems like it, it popped up overnight, um, it's best to to mention that to somebody. Take. And the, the best way to do that is that everybody seems to have a cell phone now uh, with a camera. Uh, if you take um, an aquatic plant, say, uh, put it over something that's white and put something of a known size next to it, say a quarter or a pocket knife or a fishing lure, take a, a good close-up picture of it. Um, most of the time you can email that or, uh, you know, take that into a, a park office um, and ask, what is this and is it a problem? Uh, if it's a problem, you know, then then you're notifying the right, you know, the right person. Well, we will certainly share that. Well, hey, we appreciate your time and thanks for your insights, Brian. Yes, thank you very Wonderful. much, Brian. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Well, that was a lot to digest uh, and a lot of detail, but it's important detail. Uh, these things are are around us, and uh, as Chris mentioned at the at the front end. You know, if you don't have them, that's a good thing. But uh, we can't really rest on these things because they do spread around. Oh, that that's the truth. And and it's hit home for me personally, Don. I mean, um, as, as you know, my background and everything, I, I grew up fishing, you know, Pima Tuning as a little kid. Um, and, and I just, I know all the places he's talking about on the lake. And I fished all those places. I mean, I love that lake. I love that part of northwestern Pennsylvania, northeastern Ohio. And it bothers me that... Um, these issues are affecting that lake right now. Thank God the fishing is, I mean, they're doing a tremendous job there and they've been able to control it and manage it now. And the fishing is, is still phenomenal, but it just bothers me that we have to, you know, spend time, money, resources, and everything else to manage a plant. that's not supposed to be here. Yeah. You said it, uh, especially bothers the, me. I'm telling you, especially the money, uh, money can be put to good use, but, uh, we have monies being spent just to stay even. And yeah. And, there isn't really extra no, money. No, no. 
yeah, it's it's just a an obscene amount of money. It, that is. it would take uh, and and resources that just aren't there. No, no. I mean, it's just nuts. So I mean, I and that's one of the things that uh, irks me on it. I'm just I'm worried that it's going to you know flip over the continental divide and get into the Great Lakes, and then we're talking a whole nother thing now. So yeah, we don't want to scare you too much. But, well, but if you do fish in uh, in northeast uh, northeast. Yeah, northeast yeah, Ohio. Northeast Ohio, western Pennsylvania. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it You might do well to listen to the next one because there's a, a lot of detail um, that will enlighten you further on, on what this hydrilla is that, that that Chris is scared about. Yeah. I don't want to do I've actually seen, I, you know, I played in it last year. I didn't like what I was seeing. Yeah. I'm telling you. Yeah, it's bad stuff. Yep. Yep, for sure. Anyway, um, there's going to be more of that in two weeks. If you care to tune in, uh, it'll be worth a listen. Uh, beyond that, uh, we're going to dole out a few, a little bit more information going forward on on other invasives. That's not the end of it, unfortunately, but uh, but that's the that's the aquatic stuff. We've got bugs, we've got critters. We'll be talking about that in the future. Definitely, definitely. As you mentioned, Don, uh, this isn't a negative podcast, but. Um, just, I think it's best that we're informed on it for sure. Best to be informed. That's informed. right. We are yeah. not downers. We, yeah. We just want to know. That's right. That's right. So folks, I know turkey season's coming up. Um, you know, I had a pretty good shed hunting season too. I did pretty good there. And I know a lot of folks are interested in turkey. So good luck spring turkey hunting. I know Don and I will be out. Um, so what we're asking you to do is get out in your 120 and do something. 